Good morning, everyone. So good to look out there and see each of you here at the house of the Lord today. We're continuing in our series of messages that goes along with the discipleship material we're working through, experiencing God. I really hope you're sticking with it and continuing to do the work, um, doing, setting aside some time every day uh, to work on this. I know it requires a bit of discipline, a bit of effort, but those of you who are doing it, I know, uh, are aware of, of, of the benefit that comes when we intentionally carve out time to seek God's face. Uh, and that's really what this whole thing is about, about finding God and not just learning about God, but getting to know God himself and to, uh, be, uh, to know him as he has known us, to love him as he has loved us, and to know him by discovering his will and allowing it to be implemented in our lives. Um, so uh, a bit of advice we often hear instructs us as follows. Listen to your heart. I'm sure you've heard that. We're told that this is the highest and noblest of all voices we could listen to, the voice of our own heart. The assumption is that the world is the mess it is today because people do not listen to their hearts. If only we would all stop being driven by what society says, what other people says, what our parents say, what our uh, people around us are trying to tell us to do. If we would just ignore all of that and listen to what's in our hearts, we would stop doing hurtful and foolish things. Let me ask you, have you tried this? Has your own heart proven to be the oracle you were promised it would be? Has it, in fact, driven you to the highest and noblest, the loftiest heights? Or has it made you self-centered and selfish? Has it made you less able to care about others because you're so concerned with yourself? Has it led to even more pettiness and hatred and greed? And have you discovered when you try to listen to your own heart and follow its instructions, have you discovered that that has really made the world a better place? Quite simply, this advice is nonsense. And let me explain why I say this. We're looking today at John 8. 47. Uh, and in this verse, uh, our emphasis for the week in, in our work at, with experiencing God is that God speaks, and we'll be talking about God speaking next week as well. So this is the first part of talking about how God speaks. But before I read the verse, let me back up a little bit and try to put it in context. When we talk about God speaking to us, well, first of all, we might wonder, does God even care to do something like that? Some people assume that God is too lofty and too occupied with much bigger things than us to have time to be concerned at all about us, much less to actually make the effort to say anything to us. Um, but the Bible makes it very clear that God speaks to us. And, and if God is speaking to us, just what is he up to? What is he after? And the reason I say that is, I think we all know, if we're honest 
with ourselves. And if we make an honest evaluation of life and the world around us, we know that something is wrong. Something is not as it should be. We find it deep within this lack of satisfaction, right? The Rolling Stones talked about it in a song. We just can't get no satisfaction, right? We, we chase after it, we pursue it, and we find ourselves chasing these brief, elusive moments of happiness that evaporate almost as soon as we find them. And we chase and chase and find that we cannot find what our soul is calling out for. Something is wrong, something is missing, and we're not sure what to do about it. If God is going to speak into our lives, hopefully it has something to do with that. And it does. The Bible uh, is God's answer to that dilemma. And in the Bible, God tells us very clearly what the problem is. What is wrong? What is it that is off? That isn't the way it should be? It has one word for it. Sin. Now, sin exists because God exists. And basically, sin is anything that is not as it should be. Now, who determines what should be? God. If God is the one who created everything that exists, and it is by his will and purpose that everything that exists is in existence, then surely his criteria is the only one that makes any difference as to whether things are what they should be or are not. So it is because of God's will that sin exists because there are some things God looks on and says this is right and there are some things God looks on and says this is not right. That not right is what we call sin. Now how did God start everything off? Well, he created everything and he created a creature that he intended to be at the pinnacle of his creating activity. In the description we find in Genesis, they are placed at the very end of the description. And it's very clear that this final creature God's creating is very special. And he created uh, the human being. And Adam and Eve, he placed them in this wonderful garden. And here's what God had in plan for them. He said, I want you to take all the animals on earth and I want you to give them names. And I want you to care for creation. I want you to govern creation. And I want you to uh, exercise authority over all of creation. And basically what God said is, I have created a universe. And now I have created a being with whom I want to share the administration of this universe. How generous is God? to create a whole universe <coughs> and then create a being with the explicit purpose of sharing oversight of that whole universe with. That's exactly what God did. What was the problem? Adam and Eve didn't want to share. <clears throat> they didn't want God to walk with them and guide them in overseeing this universe God had created. 
this universe who only God knew why he had created it and how it functioned and how it was meant to be administered. Only God knew all of that information, but they decided, I don't want to share that. I want to be God. The first person to eat from the fruit that God had forbidden was Eve. And the reasoning, we're told, was that she said, if I eat this, I will be God. Adam and Eve did not want to share with God. They wanted to be God. They wanted to govern on their own. That's why the world is the way it is today. Because of that choice. That is why. (coughs) Here's what happens. And it happened immediately. There was only the two of them. But what happens when each one is going to try to run things their own way? Well, all of a sudden, even Adam and Eve weren't on the same page. Eve wanted this. Adam wanted that. And the whole history of humankind is the sad story (coughs) of each one of us being God. And how does this play out in a world filled with human beings? Well, everybody has their own idea of what has to happen and what they want to happen and what they want to see happen. And when what I want to see happen conflicts with what you want to see happen, then we get into a battle of wills. And we see who has more power and who gets to impose his will on the other. The reason the world is the way it is today is that we are all little gods. And we are all doing what we want. That's the reason we have Palestinians and Israelis. That is why we have millennia of entrenched hatred and fights over land rights and religious significance. Because we each have our own version of what we're pursuing. That's why there are so many languages in the world and so many nations and cultures and so much hatred and divide between one and another. Because we are each in pursuit of what we want. So how did God respond to this? He created this perfect world. He was going to share governance of it with all of us. Walk with us. Guide us. We spit in his face. So what does God do? Destroy. Just say, oh, well, this is, this is awful. This is not at all what I intended. I'm just going to wipe it away and, and do something else. Almost. He almost did that. In the days of Noah, a horrible moment in history where we're told in the Bible there was only one man who had any interest in God. Every single other person on the face of the earth was doing their own thing, completely oblivious to God. And it was a horrible world. And so God brought the flood, and, but he chose in that moment, I'm not going to eliminate humankind, I'm going to rescue. I'm going to fix what's broken. So he talked to Noah and put him on the ark and put the animals on the ark and ensured that there was the life necessary to repopulate the earth and to continue. And the plan really begins in earnest with a descendant of Noah by the name of Abraham when God calls him and walks with him and tells Abraham, I want to use you and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a whole huge large family and from your descendants I will bring up a nation and from that nation I will bring up one of your descendants and in him I will bring my blessings to every family on earth. 
My blessing will be as extensive, as ubiquitous as sin has been. That descendant would defeat sin and death. And that descendant would make it possible for us to be restored to that original plan of shared oversight of everything. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul understood this when he's writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthian congregation was a divided church. They were competing with one another and trying to follow different leaders and they were uh, trying to tear down one to raise the value of their leader within the church and they were fighting and Paul says to them, why are you fighting? What are you fighting about? Don't you realize that everything is yours? What Jesus came to do was to restore us to oversight of all creation. He told his disciples, you are going to reign with me. And God in Christ is giving back everything that we lost when we said, I'm going to take control of it. It's ironic that this was God's plan to share everything with us. And we said, no, I don't want to share with you, God. I want it all for myself. And what happened to Adam and Eve the minute they made that decision? They lost control of everything. And creation was no longer under their control. And to this day, we struggle and fight and we buy plots of land and we stake our flag on them and say this belongs to me and we build our things on that land and we have our plans and our grand structures and our monuments to self that we raise up but guess what's going to happen within 70 or 80 years you die and guess where you end up in that land you said you owned who owns you now God told this to Adam and Eve the minute it all happened. You're going to spend your life, Adam, struggling, fighting with the earth to make a living. And in the end, you're going to lose. You're going to go back to the earth. And the earth is going to have the last laugh. You are from dust. You will return to dust. Jesus came to reverse that. To restore our shared oversight of all creation. God's plan culminated in the incarnation. God himself became flesh. He became a human being. And God the Son lived the life that each one of us should have lived. This is how the Son, Jesus, lived his life. He lived his life perfectly in communion with the Father. And all he did in his life on earth was what the Father instructed him to do. He spoke the words the Father gave him to speak. He did the works that the Father was doing. And that was his whole purpose in living this life here on earth. And was the only human being who lived a life in perfect obedience as was the original design. As such... He became the only candidate to say, I will take on myself the sins of the world. Now, there are two reasons Jesus was the only one who could do that. He was the only one who was sinless, and it had to be somebody who was not guilty himself. You had to be free of guilt to be able to take it on. Otherwise, you were in the same boat as everybody else. So there's that, but it also, it had to be God 
It couldn't just be a sinless human being. It had to be God. Why? Because the one we offended when sin entered the world was God. The reason sin demands punishment is that we have offended God. And it is only right that sin must be paid for. Now, the only person who can say, I will carry the debt of that sin, is the one who's been offended by it. Only God could say, I will forgive. And I will bear fully the burden of that sin. So, Jesus, because he was the only human who lived a perfect sinless life, and because he was God himself, was the only candidate to be able to do this. Not only that, not only did he die on the cross and bear the sin of the world, but he rose victorious, immortal. You know how the Bible describes Jesus in his resurrection? He is the firstborn of the resurrection. He's the oldest among many siblings. Because he didn't just rise to immortal existence as humankind was originally designed to enjoy with God. But he opened the way, he became the trailblazer so that we in him could participate in the same thing and be given access to the same resurrection on the final day. So that we can enjoy eternally this walk with God. So how do we participate in this plan of God? Let me tell you how we don't do it. And this is a uh, perhaps somewhat common uh, truncated version of the gospel. This is what you do not do. You don't just say, Jesus, forgive my sins. And then go on living out the rest of your life. So that one day when you die... You patiently await the final judgment, at which point you are declared not guilty because Jesus forgave you, and you are granted eternal life. That may be the way the gospel was described to you, but that is not how it works. How does it work? Let me tell you why that doesn't work. Jesus did not come just to fix guilt and mortality. He came to fix the problem that caused those things. Sin. He came to deal with the problem of sin. How do we participate in God's plan? We renounce sin. I'm not saying that the only way we get to participate is if we do not sin. None of us can pull that off. What I do mean to say is, in our hearts, this is the decision that has to be made. I have to decide. I don't want to be God. I want God to be the only God in my life. And I will renounce the sin of defying God. I will renounce the sin of putting myself on the throne. And I will claim God as God. That's the only way anybody is ever going to be saved. You cannot know Christ as Savior if you don't know him as Lord. 
What do we need to, what do the redeemed look like? Those who are following Jesus. These are people who have tasted of Eve's delusion. And one day they too participated in that delusion, thinking that I will be God of my life and it will be wonderful. And finally, broken, you have come to the realization that this is horrendous. That this is an unspeakable evil against the one who gave me the breath of life. And you repent of it and say, I do not want this anymore. I don't want to be God of my life. I want God to be the only God in my life. I want to be what God made me to be, whatever that is. I don't decide. He does. We have to know God as Lord first. Only then is he Savior. So we're almost at the verse. This is a really long introduction. This uh, chapter 8, verse 47, let me catch you up with what's going on in chapter 8. We begin the chapter 8 with uh, John telling us that a lot of people had been listening to Jesus and they believed in him. Wonderful, this guy is, man, he preaches like nobody's business. I'm, he does these amazing healings and things. Wow, this is the guy we want to follow. We, we want to uh, hear more. So then Jesus tells him, okay, let me tell you what really has to happen to fix the problem. You have to obey my words. You have to do what I command you to do. You have to love me and do what I'm telling you to do. And suddenly they were offended. Jesus said the only way you're ever going to be free is if you surrender to me and let me free you. What did they say? We are children of Abraham, and we have never been slaves of anyone. Boy, is that the most absurd thing a Jew could ever say. Their whole story starts with them as slaves in Egypt. What do you mean we've never been slaves of anyone? It's patently absurd, but they're so offended that Jesus would even suggest that they are slaves of sin, not the guys in control. How dare Jesus call them slaves? How dare he say they need to be saved? They weren't sinners. Jesus was. We know who our parents are. Who knows who your dad is, Jesus? We belong to God. We are children of God. We're the good guys. And Jesus responded with the verse we're looking at today. Let's read the first half of it. The one who is of God listens to God's words. What Jesus is saying is, if you really want to say, I'm with God, I belong to God, then you have to be not only hearing what God is saying, but you're actually heeding his instruction. You're paying attention to him. You listen to what he has to say. You can't just say, I'm one of the good guys. God's okay with me because I have declared it to be so. If you want to say you belong to God, you are of God, then you have to listen to his words. So first of all, the solution here is not to claim some theological uh, belief but to actually belong to God. 
to be of God. You want God to fix what's wrong? You have to be of God. And you are of, if you are of God, then you are paying attention to what he's telling you because God is communicating with you and he's telling you what he wants in your life. We can't be in charge. This means to come to Christ, I have to give up claims over my own life, my own heart, my own identity, my own decisions, my own choices. I surrender that to God. You know why? Because as long as I hold on to those things, I am still a descendant of Eve trying to be God myself. I let God make, up all, make all those decisions in my life. I'm done with navel-gazing. We have to listen to God, not to ourselves. I'm not just looking at myself, pondering the selfish stirrings of my heart as though that were some profound, wonderful thing. It isn't. It's dirty and selfish and petty and small and it's been our problem as human beings since Adam and Eve first did it. There's nothing noble about following our own heart. We're done with that. We're done being sin's puppet. We're done defying our Creator. God is so generous with us. After all we've done, the way we have turned away from Him and gone to our own devices and chosen to do whatever we wanted to do, He's still willing to welcome us back. He forgives our insult. He restores us to the communion of the garden. That means he wants to walk with us the way he walked with Adam and Eve. He wants to talk to us, communicate to us, say to us what it is that's on his heart. And he wants to guide us in paths of life. Think of the example of people in the Bible who did this, who were willing to be of God and to listen to God. You think Moses came up with the idea of crossing the Reed Sea? I think it was his idea. Let's walk up to the edge of this sea where there's nowhere to escape and the army of the Egyptians are bearing down on us and we're just a bunch of slaves. None of us knows how to fight. Sure, that's a great idea. But it was God's idea. And because they said, okay, God, you're God, I'm not. They went where God told them, and then God did something incredible. He split the sea in two. And they crossed that sea on dry ground. And you know what? God even used that to destroy the army that was chasing them. What about Jehoshaphat? And going into battle, not with an army, but with a praise team. Singing the faithfulness of God that endures forever only to arrive at the battle scene and find that the enemy army is all dead on the ground. What about trying to take down a fortified city by just marching around it? 
What about sending a teenager with a sling and a stone to fight a hardened warrior giant champion? What about being a prophet and the king of Syria sending his whole army to capture you? And God's so working that he blinds the whole army and the armies of God are surrounding and you take this whole army captive to the king of your nation and return them unharmed to this pagan king so that he knows there's a God in Israel who does amazing things. What about the first disciples? who actually paid attention to Jesus' instructions and went out to the ends of the earth to share the gospel of life and turned the world upside down. That's what God's inviting us into. And there is no formula. And I love this about experiencing God, this material that they repeat that over and over. There's not a simple formula. God speaks in weird ways, in any way he wants to. He communicates and brings his voice to bear in our lives any way he chooses. Don't expect him to talk to you exactly like he talked to anybody else. You know how many people have had a burning bush experience? One. We talk about it. But I have yet to speak to anybody who's had an actual, literal, burning bush experience. God does things different ways. But God speaks clearly. When he speaks, we know it. I can look back on my life, and I know there are moments where God just spoke. And I know exactly what he was saying to me. He challenges us to trust him in response. We respond to him speaking to us with obedience. And let me finish the verse. This is why you do not listen. Because you are not of God. Here's the simple long and short of it. If you don't hear God, if you're not obeying God, it's because you're not God's. Because there are only two options. Either God is God in your life, or you are. There's no third option. So Jesus is very clear. This is what God wants. He wants you to belong to him and to listen to him. But if that's not what's happening, the only other possible answer is you don't belong to God at all. You can be very religious. You can show up in church. You can do all kinds of things and still be the God of your life and heart. And if you wonder, why doesn't God speak to me? I think Jesus is warning us that the reason is that you don't belong to him. Religiosity won't cut it. It's not enough to just attend church now and then, listen to sermons online, pray only when you want to ask God to do something for you, never bother to read God's Word, and living your version of what is a good life. Not God's, not asking God, what is the life you want me to live, but I'm going to live a good life. And then expecting, having the audacity to expect at the final judgment that God is going to sign off on your version and say, oh yeah, he is good. 
How convenient. It happens that God's idea of what I should do is exactly what I think I should do. That's not how it works. If you belong to God, you hear him. So don't deceive yourself. If you're not hearing God, if you haven't surrendered yourself to him, you need to turn to God and find true life. Now the purpose of this blunt statement of Jesus is not to shame us, not to reject us, not to say your failures, you never amount to anything. His purpose is to help us confront the lies we may be telling ourselves so that we don't miss out because we've convinced ourselves that we're good with God when we're not. God loves us too much to let us miss out on this abundant life he has in store for us. We're only ever going to find this life in relationship with him. A relationship in which we are the creatures and he uh, is the creator. We submit ourselves to his will because we are not God. How fortunate that God is loving and generous, that God is good and kind. He could simply force us all to do his will. There's not a way we could resist it. Instead, he becomes a man. He hangs on a cross and pays for our guilt, our offense, and then simply offers the invitation, I will take you back, I will give you everything you gave up. Come to me. How kind is God? How mind-blowing is his love? Will you turn back? and find rescue. Will you be restored? Will you enter into a relationship in which God can guide you from death to life, from shame to glory, from captivity to freedom? We're going to sing a song of invitation. This is the time in our service where we have an opportunity to respond to God's word. First of all, I want to ask you, if you look in your heart and say, you know, I don't hear God, I don't obey Him. I'm doing my own thing. Have been since I was born. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to turn the corner and to say, Jesus, I'm done with this. I renounce this. I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I want to hear you speak, and I want to do whatever you tell me. If that's you this morning, I want you to come forward. There will be people here at the front. Tell them that that's the decision you've made, and they will pray with you. Maybe you're following Christ, and you've lost focus. You're not listening to God because you've allowed other things to distract your attention from Him, and you need to repent and recommit yourself fully to God being God and you not. If that's you this morning, come and share whatever God is putting on your heart. Share it with the people who will be here at the front and let them pray with you and for you. Maybe you don't need to talk to someone. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and kneel and pray. If that's you this morning, the altar is open. Come and pray 
Let's all stand. I'd like to ask those who are going to be helping us with the invitation to please come forward. Please come while we sing.